So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 7 to 16 in our time together uh, this morning to kind of pick up on some things that James had began talking about last week. I, I don't know if you heard this story. I, it's one that always comes to my mind when I think of this particular topic. I think I've probably even shared it before, but years ago, a uh, reporter approached a football coach and asked him what contribution football makes to physical fitness in the United States of America. And without batting an eye, he said, zero. It makes no contribution. The reporter wasn't expecting that response, so he said, could you elaborate? It's what you do as a reporter if you don't know what to ask next. And he said, you know what football is? Football is 22 players on the field who desperately need rest, being watched by 60,000 fans who desperately need exercise. (laughs) And so sometimes you wonder if you could say that about the church. When you look out and you say, boy, there's a group of people who are doing a lot And then there's a fair amount of people who are just spectating. And what does the Bible say about all of that? And so this passage came to mind. I mean, when you talk about body life and ministry in the body, there's a host of passages you could look at. We could have gone to 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4. It's all over the place, but... For today, I thought I'd settle on a smaller text, which will make you happy because maybe I won't speak as long, um, from Ephesians chapter 4. But look at the title for just a moment. Christ's gracious plan for the ministry of saints in his body. There's there's a couple terms there, terms there, I think, that kind of set us back that I, I think we just need to be clear about. Um, if, if somebody saw you on the street and said, so, who are the ministers at the chapel? What do you think you'd say? Do you think some of us might say, wow, it's, it's, it's Tim Huff, James Long, it's, and maybe you name some of the elders. It's, it's Dave Rader. It's the ministers. Is that what Paul would say? Paul Paul would say, yeah, you've got equippers in a church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the ministers are all of the saints. You say, well, oh, you mean saints as in those people that they make plaques of. and, 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 And no, no, I'm not talking about that at all. The saints are born again believers. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're both a saint and you're the minister at Calvary, at, at, Calvary, at, at, at the chapel. I, I, was, I was at my old church last week doing a sermon for a guy who'd been there for 25 years. I was going into, the, into missions, and he asked me to kind of come and give the message as he was making that transition, and it's called Calvary. So anyway, that's, my head is just, I'm, 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 I'm morphing here, so whatever. 
Okay. So, but at the chapel, you are both the saints and you also are the ministers here. So, so let's, let's be clear about that. The, the other thing that I want to kind of unpack from this passage is this. <sighs> Sometimes when, when we get up and we speak about you as ministers, does, does it feel like it's a bit of a guilt trip? You know, like, oh boy, they probably need more people for the nursery. <laughs> you know, more people to help out in junior church. I, I bet they're short with greeters right now. Carmelo probably needs some more people up here with him. I mean, whatever. You know, we, people can think of kind of a whole host of things when we talk about these things. And, and sometimes we treat a church like it's a, a volunteer association. You know, you got the Kiwanis and, you know, these different groups, and, and then there's the chapel. And so what you got to do is come up with these intricate ways to twist arms to try to get more people doing something. You know what I'm saying? And one of the things I want you to realize, not only that you're ministers, you're saints if you know Christ, but that the church is not like, it's very different from other volunteer associations. And that's where I want to focus today from this text. There is such a Christ-centeredness that makes the church absolutely unique from any other voluntary association that when you talk about ministry, it's almost in a totally different ballpark. That's, that's, that's what I want you to watch as we work through this. Does that make sense? So the, the, just working through that, when you come to the book of Ephesians, and, and again, I, I, I don't want to, I just want to kind of give you a, a feel for where we're going here in chapter 4. I, I think one of the things you can do with the book of Ephesians, you can't do this with all Paul's books, some of them more so than others, but this one is like a slam dunk when it comes to this. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul doesn't have any commands for us. Do you realize that? It's all praise and prayer to God in which we are absolutely overwhelmed. Some uh, scholars will often talk about the indicatives of the Christian life, and all that means is the indicative, the statements, the realities of the Christian life. And in the first three chapters, Paul is just throwing at us again, can you believe God's plan of salvation? Can can you believe that he takes dead people and enlivens them through Christ? Can you believe that he brings all ethnic groups, in this particular case, Jews and Gentiles, together into one body? And he just, one after another, he says, man, let me praise God for that. And then let me turn around and pray and say, God, let us believe it for three whole chapters. And it is not until he gets to chapter 4 that he begins to tell us, okay, so what should we do? So what does that look like in our lives, in our families, in our Christian community, in the world around us? And he begins unpacking all of those things for us. And so when he gets to chapter 4, verse 1 says this, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, and treat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling where which you have been called. And you know what he does then? He's going to talk about us 
as a unified group. There's one Lord. There's one God and Father. There's one Holy Spirit. There's one baptism. One, 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 one. And he's going to talk about the fact that we are one. We are unified. We are this group. And Carm, I was thinking about what you were saying up here. Um, Paul's a realist because as he's working through that, he says things like, oh yeah, you got to forbear with one another. Now, why would he say that? Because sometimes it's hard to forbear with one another. Like, that's the point, isn't it? I mean, the point is we come together, incidentally, that getting it together as we get together, that's a tagline. I, I actually wrote that one down. I may actually plagiarize it sometime. I just want you to know. That was a really good one. I, I, I like that. God took my pen out and wrote it down. It was good. I like that. Um, and I just lost my train of thought. But anyway, we're one, okay? So, so he, he starts out in those first six verses, and he just, he overwhelms us with the fact that we are this unique body that he has created for his glory to further his purposes, to give the world a picture about what the way humanity was always supposed to live as they see us as Christians doing it. Okay, does all that. But you could then, in the midst of all that, start thinking to yourself, then who needs me? Because you got the, the group. You got the us. But who needs me? And notice, as he's talking about that, how he turns and begins to look at individuals. Because you, do you ever find yourself getting lost in a group and wondering whether you even need to be in that group? Because, like, what value do you have? Paul will have none of that, folks. If you know Christ, you're a saint. And if you're a saint, you're to be a minister. Yeah, but you guys don't need me. Listen to the words of Paul. In verse 7, the first word is what? I don't know what translation you have, but mine is but, and it's a good translation. Yet, it does the same thing. But, okay, so Paul, you've just talked about the big we us. Paul says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And if you go down to verse 11, it starts out by saying this, and he what? Gave. He himself gave. And what you find in this passage is, when you think about my involvement in the local church, yes, Christ has given of himself and he is doing something wonderful with us, but he also wants to do something wonderful with you as an individual within the us. So what he, the Bible tells us is that he has given to each one of us. It doesn't, what if it just said here, he has given to the Apostle Paul and to Timothy and named about five people. But he doesn't say that, does he? Paul wants everyone in here. You could put your name in there if you know Christ. Paul has given John Baker grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Kathy, he's given you for that reason. Dan, he's given you for that reason. Good to have you here. And I could go all the way, Victor, Ken, 
Fran, I, I don't want to miss anybody. I don't know. John, I, now I feel like I have to say everybody. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, but but you, you see, you, you're like, how come you didn't mention me? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I should have, but my bad. Okay. But but you, but you see what I'm saying? Christ has done something in your life individually. He has an agenda for you among us. And it's all consistent with the gift that he has done. What he does here, interestingly enough, I think, so Christ's gracious plan for ministry of saints in his body, what he does in verses 7 to 10 is he kind of gives us this big picture in light of his incarnation and ascension. Let me read it, because it's, sometimes it's a little bit confusing. I'll try to unpack it and, and make the point. He, he, he's not specifically talking about the body. What he's saying here is this. The gift he has given you as an individual you must see that in light of the bigger Bible storyline of what God is doing in the world today, okay? That's what he wants you to see. Look at what he says. So to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. The measure is just what you and I need. He will give you certain abilities and opportunities he won't give me. He'll give, that, that, that's what he does. That's what he does. So it's according to what he has designed, all right? It's his choice. Therefore, it says, and here in verse 8, he's quoting from Psalm 68. When he ascended on high, he led captive a hope of captive, a host of captives, sorry, and he gave gifts to men. And so Paul, as he's writing, and he's talking about what the ascended Lord is doing, he's saying, you know, it makes me think back to a passage in the Old Testament. If you went back and read Psalm 68, you will find in that particular passage that, that the Bible's speaking there in relationship to what God is doing with his people Israel. And he says, I am this God who has been ascended, and I am the one who is getting gifts, and I am the one who is blessing my, my, my people. And Paul, as he reads that, says, man, does that make me think of Jesus? Because that's where that whole thing goes, ultimately. And he comes over and he, be, and, and he says this. Look at verse 9 and 10. Now the expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So Paul reads that verse from the Old Testament, Psalm 68. And it's talking about Jehovah God. And Jesus is God. And he says the way that ultimately gets fleshed out is in a God who would become a man, would live a perfect life, would die, be buried, resurrect, and would ascend back to heaven again. And I have to tell you, there are huge debates over these verses. I'm, I'm just going to like zip through them quick, really quick. Um, we could spend all kinds of time. There's whole people that say when the Bible says he descended to the lower parts of the earth. Some people argue that that's talking about what he did after he died and when he went down and he, and he declared victory over lost people or over um, demons in, in that, that are presently in hell and blah, blah, all kinds of stuff. That's one interpretation. Some good scholars take it. The other one is when it says lower parts of the earth, it just means the lower parts which are the earth and it's contrasting it to the one who has been ascended above the heavens. And I think that's what he's saying here. I think what he's saying here is, look, when you read Psalm 68, that's wonderful. You know how it gets fleshed out? God has become a man. 
He has come down. He's descended down to where we are on earth. Big contrast to where he came from. And he's died for us. He rose from the grave. And now he's been exalted back to the right hand of God as the Messiah of all, the Lord of all. And what does he do? Does he just take things from people? No. He gives gifts. And one of his gifts is you to the body. He gives, so this ascended Lord who's about everything, it's all about Jesus Christ, he gives gifts. And these gifts, part of these gifts are his people that are placed in a body and are able to minister ultimately that they can say, the king has come. Life will never be the same. He's coming back one day and he's building a community of faith that becomes an example of the way humanity was always supposed to live but could never do it. That's the big picture. The exalted Lord wants to use you. You could put your name right there in that passage. Isn't that amazing? And then, then what he does, oh, th- this is, I don't think I'm going to get into that. It's for, yeah, for, let's go to the second one. Um, then what he does in verses 11 to 16, we have his specific plan for leaders and ministers in his body. Okay, so he wants to give you the big picture like what you do in relationship to the body of Christ is cosmic. Do you see that? Because it's all part of something much bigger that he, the ascended Lord wants to do in the world around us. It's cosmic. But then you're saying, okay, okay, okay. So like, how does he practically do that? Like, what's that look like on a Tuesday morning? On a Sunday morning? On a Thursday afternoon? Like, hello? Okay, I, I love it. Christ has given to us these gifts and these opportunities so we can bless others. Okay? How? Like, how's that work? Do you see? And he unpacks it for us in verse 11 in following. And he says, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, folks, that is a mouthful, isn't it? I mean, do you read that? Oh, yeah, I got that one. I mean, like, I feel like I got to parse every verb in there, like everything, but I, I trust me, I won't. I'll just try to match, put it together. And here's what he says Has he given you as an individual to this body to do his work for his glory? The answer to that is what? Absolutely, yes. It's part of his cosmic plan. Look at the big picture. The way he works that out is that he also gives people, many of which are in unique leadership roles. And and they are called either to build a foundation or in an ongoing way to continue that foundational work 
so that upon that foundation, they can actually equip ministers so that the work can be done. So I might say it like this in a chart form. Real simple. There's equippers. There's ministry. There's ministers. And then there's edification in the body. One of the things I love about this church is we have so many people that do things that makes all the difference in this church and they never get any credit for it because they're not doing it for anybody but for Christ. And all kinds of things happen around here. Can you imagine if nothing got done unless the elders did it directly? That was it. So either got to be done by, you know, Tim's got to do it, James has to do it, Doug's got to do it, Victor's got to do it, Dave's got to do it, Steve's got to do it. You know, whatever. We just kind of go on and on and all, name all these guys. And it, it, what would get done around here? Very little. However, those leaders are still important. And here's what I found to be really helpful when I, when I think my way through this. The, the term apostles and prophets is used in tandem together three times in the book of Ephesians. In chapter 2, chapter 3, and again here in chapter 4. And, 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 and although prophetic ministry can, can move in a variety of directions when you read Corinthians and so forth, what Paul is looking at here when he talks about the apostles and the prophets He's looking in many ways at this foundational ministry that is involved very much with apostles and close allies of them and what they're most interested in above everything else is the gospel and the truth of the gospel and that people understand the gospel and then live the gospel. And that becomes absolutely foundational in, in the early part of the church because we didn't have a completed canon yet, did we? New Testament. Like, they're writing it. And so how do you know how to handle certain kinds of issues? You go back and ask an apostle. A prophet gives you a word. I mean, this stuff is really important, especially in those early days. Vitally important. And so this foundational ministry, it's all about people understanding the nature of the gospel. That then gets handed off in local church settings to a variety of individuals, but key individuals in carrying that truth will be pastors and teachers. And some scholars argue that it's the same role. It's just talking about a pastor-teacher. And so we talk about it. But I think probably pastors is the is one subset of a larger category of teachers. I think it's more broad when it says teachers, actually. I don't want to get into all the debates on it. Just Everybody debates this stuff. But here's the point. What a pastor and or pastor teacher and or pastor and teachers is doing is this. They are making sure above everything else that the gospel is never lost, that the gospel is understood both in what it means theologically and what it looks like practically in a person's life. Do you see that? They are guardians of the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that can never be lost. And so, sometimes when you talk about the equipping ministry of saints, 
Um, I mean, I, I, you know, having been around church for a while, I mean, I was actively involved in a period of time where we would take folks through a whole battery of tests to determine what their specific, specific gift is. And there's all kinds of gift surveys out there. And I remember organizing that in a previous church. Man, I had it all down. And man, here it is. And we worked through each one. And then you figure out which one is yours. And you get somebody else to validate it and blah, blah, blah. Okay, there's your gift. Go do it kind of a thing. And I think it helped. It helped some people to kind of get conscious about this. So I get that. I just don't find them doing that exactly when I read the New Testament. Here's what I find them doing. I find Paul and Timothy being connected with people, helping them to understand what the gospel is and what it means to live out that gospel. And then exploring with them ways in which they can further that by their connections in light of their giftedness. Now that kind of thing you see a lot, don't you? And one of the things that you should expect of your leaders is that we never lose track of the centrality of the gospel. That it's all about Christ. It's all about the fact that sinners can be forgiven and transformed by the Spirit. And we never lose track of those things. And so when we equip you, we equip you with the wonders of the gospel. And we talk about the gospel. And then we ask, what does the gospel look like in your life with your wife and with other people here and other people here? And then what you do is as you're growing in that area, you're saying, and God, whose life can I step into to connect that I can share the gospel with, that I can tell people I love them, that I can minister and make a difference? Do you know what? That will change the way people respond to a, an announcement about helping with junior church, won't it? Because instead of saying like, oh, brother, the deal with those bratty kids for 40 minutes. They're not bratty, none of them. They're all sweet, wonderful kids. But you know what I'm saying? Now all of a sudden, when somebody hears that, they think to themselves, you know, I wonder how God might use me to touch their lives, maybe to touch their parents' lives. Maybe their parents are just, just on the fringe here at the church, and maybe I can connect up with them and maybe even have them over to my house sometime or, or whatever. But when I'm with these children, how, how can I speak the gospel into their lives? Because, you know, Huff is speaking about this stuff all the time, and I see how important it is. It's in the Scripture. Like, I, I get it. So how, how do I do that with them? How do I do it with the parents around them? God, how do I use the gifts that you've given me to exalt you and point people to you? Does that change things a little bit? I think that's totally different, folks. And I think that's the kind of thing he's talking about here. So we've been given, Christ says, I've given individuals specific gifts to minister in my body. Because I love my body so much and I want it to be a body based on the transforming work of the gospel. I've given leaders who will protect that, who will unpack that, will explore it with me personally, will help me think through ways to live it out and to, to express it with others. That's what we should be about as leaders. 
so that you are unleashed into mutual ministry. And, and what you're doing is continuing that in the lives of everybody you touch with whatever ministry you're involved in. It, it's just easy sometimes with ministry just to get caught up in, oh, I got to do blank. You're doing blank with who? <laughs> with somebody. God wants you to invest in that person. Do you see? What he does here, I'm trying to remember, oh, I don't want to get there yet. That's, that's the end. We don't want to get there too quick. Okay. Um, here's one of the things I find in this passage that's really, really helpful. When he talks about this, this ministry, so there is equipping. We're constantly, the gospel is central. We're always about those kinds of things. There's ministry. There's mutual ministry. There are days and weeks when you come in here, you need to be ministered unto. Do you know that? You do. You've had a hard week. You've been beaten up by the enemy. And you really need someone to put their arm around you and say, I love you. I'm praying for you. What can I do? You need that. And there's other days you need to come in and you need the same thing for somebody else. We were, it's mutual ministry. Do you realize that? We are all, do you know your, your, your leaders here, we need to be ministered to. We need to be prayed for. We need to be encouraged. It's mutual ministry. So the equipping goes on. So the mutual ministry can go on. So the body can be edified. And when he talks about the body being edified, he gives us both the end goal and the step-by-step process. So um, little Harper was just born two weeks ago. Is is it Tobiah? Was born how long ago? Eight weeks ago. Still, still really, really, really young. Um, and 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 what, what's interesting to me is when I think of Harper, Tobiah, or whoever it else might be. Don't you envision as parents or as grandparents what you would like them to be when they're eighteen, twenty years of age? Don't you? Oh, I hope one day she grows up marries a wonderful godly man and you know goes off to a mission field i don't know whatever i don't don't you have those pictures she's only two weeks old and what this text does is it both gives you the picture of the 18 20 22 25 year old depending upon their age maybe have to push a little bit but whatever right and it also gives you a picture of the process to get there. So look at the goal first. So, so here we're talking about where he wants it all to end up in, verses, um, in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. You know what he says? So here we are at this point. And we want to get down there. And getting down there means that we're unified around the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Paul says, I envision the people of God. Individual churches too to function in such a way 
that when you talk to their membership, they are absolutely united on certain things. Now, we're going to disagree on some things. I mean, you know, we agree to disagree on some things. I I get that. I mean, we're we're not going to fully agree on everything. But here's some things we can't disagree on. The core of the faith is the gospel. And we cannot disagree on that. We cannot disagree on the knowledge of the Son of God. He's the exalted Son of God, Messiah. He's the King of all, and one day He's coming back. We can't disagree on any of those things. So Paul says, what I envision is this time when we are united around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's just no disagreement on that. Yeah, around the periphery, we'll disagree on some things, but not on that. And I see a mature man. And he's not talking about individuals. He's talking about us as a group. So, so that people would come into the chapel and they'd say, man, do I like the way they do relationships. Holy mackerel. Wow. It's, it's appropriate. The timing is right. They love. They're careful. Wow. That's a mature body of Christ. Do you see? To a mature man, and then look at the last one. This is the one that just makes us go, what? Unto the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Could we live in such a way that when people come in and see us, they see Christ? Oh, that's what Christ would do. Oh, that's what it looks like. Oh, now I see. And Carmelo, I, I fully agree with you, your, your prayer and all that you were saying up there. This is a wonderful goal. I'm not sure that we ever fully attain to it. But just like when he says in chapter 5, husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. Guys, do we ever attain to that one? If you do, please come talk to me, okay? But I'm always looking at it, you know? And in the body of Christ, we are about equipping and ministering and building. And as we think about that process, we're looking at the ultimate goal. Oh, that we would be united around the gospel. That, that our lifestyle would live it out so much that people would see the maturity. Or let me just say it like this. We look like Jesus. There it is. Wow. Isn't that amazing? And your ministry in this body is part of that process. I, I, I don't matter. If you don't matter, then you have to cut verse 7 right out of the Bible. He gave to each one of us. Do you see that? So here we are. There's the end game. What's it look like to get there? And that's what he unpacks in verses 14 to 16. As a result, or therefore, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head even Christ. Do you see what he's saying? Here I am. That's where I want to go. 
What's it look like as, I, as I'm moving that direction? He says, you got to stop being kids. Kids who are just taken back and forth by every kind of doctrine that comes along. So you flip on the TV and I don't know. There's a lot of them on there. Joel Steen comes on. You look at that. And you go like, wow. Life now can be great. And you're going, I don't think I like that one. I'm having some problems in my life. You turn to something else, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you have different messages out there which don't reflect the core of the gospel. They lead people in the wrong direction. They use the language, but they push the wrong direction. Paul's fighting this stuff all the time. And he says, as you're going along, I don't want you to people that just kind of like, you know. That was quite a storm we had the other night, wasn't it? Man, at one night, I was looking at that wind, and my, I don't know. I got this one neighbor. I don't know what to do with him. My wife and I were talking about it. He had a bunch of leaves come down because, you know, just everything gets blown around. He ended up pushing the whole thing out in the middle of the street. And once you know it, the way the wind blows, it all comes right onto my yard. So, I don't know, we're wrestling with, should I go talk to him? Should I go talk to him? And we went, oh, you're a Christian, Doug. Okay, all right, maybe I should think before I talk to him. But it kind of annoyed me a little bit. But anyway, how'd I get off on all that? But those leaves are just kind of blowing around, aren't they? And Paul says, I don't want you to be that way. This term, speaking the truth in love, literally it says, truthing in love. The word speaking's not with it. And what he means is, Rather than people that are going from this doctrine to that doctrine and popping over here, and oh, I like what he says. No, no, no. I want you to be people who so know the gospel that you're truthing it. You confess it with your life. You live it in your life. You speak it to people, and you do it in love. You don't get cocky with it. You don't say, I'm better than you. You just say, I'm one beggar, and I want to tell another beggar where I found food. Right? I mean, that's all. That's what it is. But so don't be wound all back and forth. Rather, what I want you to be is I want you to be people who, who, who speak the gospel, live the gospel, truth the gospel, and do it in, in, in a loving way. As we do that, we are to all grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. You know what I found to be most interesting to me about this whole passage? as I was reading it through and studying it this week, Christ is everywhere in this passage. It is from him. It's his plan. It is by him he empowers us. It is to him so that we might become more like him. It is for him that he might be glorified. He is everywhere in Ephesians 4, 7 to 16. You just, you know, so I'm, I'm saying, okay, I don't want to go there. I want to be a person that knows the gospel, lives the gospel, believes the gospel, shares the gospel, and I want to do it in a loving way. So whatever ministry I'm involved in, that's part of it. That's part of it. And, 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 and as I, I do that, I, I'm doing it toward the fact that I want to become more like Christ and remember in the entire process that he is the head over me 
who both empowers me and has authority over my life. Do you see? That's rich, folks. So when people say, well, I'm a minister here. You better believe you're a minister here. You're a minister that's part of something that's cosmic, something that's transformative in the body of Christ. He goes on to say this in verse 14 and 15 is looking more at our, in, uh, us individually. Verse 16 is looking more at us corporately. From whom? From who? From whom? When I say from whom, who's whom? Christ. From Christ. It's all about him. From Christ. The whole body, us, the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying, look, God is here. Christ is working among us. It is from him. The whole body then is to be growing, and it says the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We should be known as a growing body that keeps taking that next step, going deeper into the gospel, going deeper into loving one another, going deeper until one day we look more and more like our blessed Lord, both individually and as a group in the way we relate to each other. Do you notice what's important in that process? If we're going to grow as a body, did you miss it? Yeah, that's what the body does, but you know what's important? Every single part, individual part, is doing their part. Do you see that there in verse 16? According to the proper working of each individual part. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more body parts I'm finding. And it's normally not good. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, I never had a pain there before. Like, where's that one from? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, there's all kinds of amens when we get into this stuff. And, and I, I, can, I can get away with a, I get gout sometimes, haven't had it in a while, praise the Lord, but sometimes I get gout, and, and um, you know, I, I can, you know, I can get around. It, it's not easy, but get by. I've broken arms and limbs in the past, and, you know, with crutches and all, I kind of get by. Would you say that's ideal? It's never ideal. So does the body kind of, yeah, it, it goes on. But if every part is not doing its part, the whole is hurt. Even as Christ is the one who is empowering and working among us and still accomplishing his purposes, we're limping sometimes. Because every part is important. And he says, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies. Here's what's really important with that. Doug Finkbeiner cannot be a minister at the chapel in isolation. One bone needs to attach to another bone, and there needs to be ligaments in the joint in between. There's got to be connections. Carmelo, I thought it was really interesting when you shared your story about your friend. I was just with a guy last week, 
who has walked away from church, an old friend. And he told me, he said, you know, Doug, I'm just, dis-. he had an interesting church experience, and I, I won't mention that, but whatever. But what he told me is he said, I want you to know that I'm still individually spiritual, but I just don't go to church anymore. And we're going to get together and follow up. I said, can we get together and talk some more about this? Because we're at a wedding. Like, like you know, you, how much can you say? So, so we're going to try to get together and talk some more about that. That's impossible, folks, in this text. It's impossible. You can't be a minister in isolation. We are fitted together with joints so that we touch lives and God uses us to transform one another. There are certain things that you can do that I can't. And if you don't, I won't grow the way I could. I'll still grow, but I'll limp through it. We'll limp through it. Do you see that? And so in this passage, I think we can say this. As the exalted Lord, Christ has graciously gifted each of us individually with the privilege to minister to his body by his power, into his image, and for his glory. If you see ministry any other way, it's going to be a drag. It'll just be a drag. If you see ministry in light of that, it will change everything. So that, ask yourself, What does it mean for us to learn together from leaders and from one another? What does it mean for us to grow together both theologically and spiritually? Not, you got to know stuff here, but it's to transform the way we live. What does it mean to connect like joints regularly with one another? And what does it mean to minister your gift from Christ to one another? with all my heart, with all our hearts as leaders, we believe that you're ministers. You're ministers in Christ's body. And that changes everything. So please, don't let us limp. Let us take whatever steps we need to take so that we can more and more realize what God wants for us. Let's pray. Father, your plan is so incredibly gracious. You could have have skirted around us and done this whole thing with angels or something. And yet, Lord, you have chosen to transform us as your beloved people both individually and corporately so that we might more and more reflect our blessed Savior, so that we might more and more know the strength that he provides through the Spirit, so that we more and more might be able to glorify you, that we might more and more be able to recognize that it all comes from you. It's your plan. Help us to get serious about ministry. Not to wait, but to engage. And in engaging, we will grow both as individuals and as a group. In Christ's name I pray.
Amen.